Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org slash OC. I really feel like God has laid a word on my heart for us today. I believe God's word can speak to us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Come on, I'm going to take you there this morning. God's word can speak to us. No matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, I believe God's word has the power to transform us, to change us, to speak to us. This is just what we believe. This is why we gather. We're here not just to read about it. We're here to experience it, just like we prayed. And that's what my prayer is today, that as we open up God's word, that we really do something in and through us. I'm not calling it a prophetic message, but I do believe that I know when God speaks. And I think that this is a word for us and for our church today. I know it's God's word for us. And so why don't you open your Bibles with me? Matthew chapter five. We're just gonna read one verse together. Matthew chapter five, verse 13. This is what the Bible says. Jesus speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. If anyone lose, if it, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I wanna preach to you from this title. I'm not salty anymore. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm not salty anymore. It's a twofold meaning. One meaning, I believe it's a faith declaration for us as a church today. But the second meaning, I believe is a, uh, it's a faith statement for your future. Leaving here today, I pray desperately that we walk out with just a sense, I don't have to live salty anymore. Come on, that's a good word. One of the habits that I've picked up during quarantine is uh, I've gotten in the habit of watching a lot of different sermons, a lot of messages. And uh, my wife would get really mad at me because back when church was still online, Sundays would be a four to five hour experience. I mean, we were watching like six or seven different church services. I just wanted to see what everyone was saying, what everyone was doing. This is part of my thing. So I'm a little bit geeked out just about church. So I remember we were watching and, and uh, right now my YouTube history is just filled with um, church messages and Coco Melon because we've had uh, just uh, uh, our firstborn son about three months ago. Someone asked me, okay, thank you. Someone asked me for uh, the greatest parenting verse in the Bible. So I did research and it's 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It says, we shall not sleep, but we will be changed. (laughs) That's what it's like to be a parent. And so uh, I'm just telling my FBI agent, there's nothing to worry about. I'm only watching church and kids shows on YouTube. So certainly there's a lot of things else that we could be watching. I don't think it's a bad habit to watch a lot of messages, but I don't want us to forget the reason why we preach messages in the first place. The, uh, one of the very first messages ever preached in the Bible comes from Acts chapter two. In, in my account, it's the second or third message that's really wherever recorded in the New Testament. What happens is the disciples are gathered together in the upper room. The Holy Spirit breaks out. It's this incredible moment. And just off the back of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the disciples there, Peter gets up and preaches a message and uh, thousands of people get saved. But what happens is at the end of the message, um, their response, the people there, they didn't pray together. They didn't stand up and sing a song together after the message was preached. They didn't gather together in their small group as a response. They didn't even go to brunch after the message is preached. I know that's hard for us to believe on Sunday at 11 a.m., but they didn't go to brunch after the message was preached. This is what happens. Peter preaches the message in Acts chapter two, verse 37 says this. It says, the crowd said, what do we need to do? In other words, they heard something and they felt we need to do something. 
In other words, we need to say that the greatest messages don't just produce agreement. The greatest messages produce action. I'm here to tell you today, we ought to leave this place saying, what is it that we need to do? I pray that the word of the Lord encourages us today, but it doesn't just produce agreement. It produces transformation. It produces action. It allows us to leave this place today and say, I've got a message to do, to live out. I just want to tell us today, there's a lot that's changed in 2020, but one thing remains the same. That, uh, that is our mission as the church that we've gone through a pandemic, we've gone through political unrest, we've gone through civil instability. But one thing remains the same. Our message as the church, our purpose as the church hasn't changed. And what better time than now for the church? We can't hold back any longer. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time for us to get serious about this thing, for us to move beyond just in agreement on Sunday, but for us to move into action. I really believe it's just the season, it's the time right now for the church to be the church. You hear me today? It's just time for us, for the church to be the church. It's just my reminder today, all this talk about what is essential, essential businesses, what's, what's allowed to be open, what has to stay closed. Might I suggest to you that it's time for the church to return back to its essential business. We are essential. And we ought to return back to what is essential about us. Jesus says in his very own words, what is essential? I brought with me today a, 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 a thing of rock salt. Thank you, Whole Foods. Rock salt. Jesus says your mission, your purpose, your essential business as the church is to be the salt of the earth. Now there's something for us to understand here this morning that our use of salt is very different from the way that they used to use salt in the ancient world. See, we like to use salt as a seasoning, makes broccoli taste better, right? We, we, we treat salt like just a spice, but the, the, the problem is the way that salt was used in the ancient world wasn't about seasoning, it was about preservation. See, this is a time before refrigeration. This is a time before modern conveniences. And so what would happen is in order to prevent the decay or the spoil of food, they would rub salt into meat. They would cook bread with salt to prevent it from spoiling. Even there's accounts of salt being used as an ancient fertilizer. So what's the point? Salt then isn't just used as a seasoning. Salt was used to keep things fresh. It was used to preserve. It was used to conserve. It was used to prevent disease and decay. So what's the connection between salt and between our purpose as a church? Might I suggest to you this, the connection, our essential business is that we are meant to be a preservation power. We are meant to be a preserving power. See, I just wanna to suggest to us, this is where we get into trouble oftentimes as churches because we'll treat salt like this. We've got everything laid out in our life and we say, my job is okay, my life is good. You know, it's been a difficult year, but for the most part, things are okay. So, but maybe, you know what would make it really awesome is if I could just get a little bit of Jesus on that thing, a little pinch of Jesus on Sunday, and then it would be really good. We treat church like this. We say, yeah, my life is good and things are okay. You know, it might've been a difficult week, but you know what would really make it awesome? You know what would really make me feel better? Let me just get a little bit of Jesus on Sunday. Let me just get a little pinch, a little seasoning, a little salt bay action on my life. We treat 
Church, we treat our relationship with Jesus like a spice, like a seasoning. Might I suggest to you, it's not about seasoning. It's about preservation. I need his grace in my life to sustain me. I need his power to preserve me. I've got to stop the decay and the destruction of sin in my life. I need his presence. It's preservation power. But we can't stop there because everything in your life, Let me just remind you today, your faith is not about you. It's not about you. In case you haven't figured it out yet, everything that God does in your life is meant to go through you to somebody else. So what is he saying? Jesus tells us that our mission as the church to be salt in the world is preservation. But now this is so important. Listen to me. I believe that the gospel message, it's essentially about healing relationships. See, first, the gospel is the announcement that because of Jesus' sacrifice, my relationship with God can be healed. I'm at the starting place that there is, a, there is a break. There is something separating me from God called sin. But Jesus died for it, so I don't have to live in sin, shame, fear, or penalty any longer. He has made a way for my relationship with God the Father to be restored. But secondly, the gospel message is not just the announcement, but now because this relationship has been restored, it now gives me the power and the precedent for every other relationship in my life to be healed. This is what it means to be salt. It is a preservation power. Because my relationship with God has been healed, every other relationship in my life ought to be healed. Salt means we preserve relationships. This is who we are as a church. We do not fight with each other. We fight for each other. Let me just speak into this here for a moment. We do not argue and bicker and divide over. We're meant to be preservation power here in our world. What we're meant to do as a church is to say, I'm not standing for fighting with each other any longer. I'm standing in unity. We fight for each other. So this morning, I just want to take us and challenge us. No longer standing for division but we stand together in unity. This is even what Paul begins to say in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul writes this out and he says this. He says, therefore, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has become. Many times we, we give this, uh, this verse at a baptism service. We say, the old life has been buried with Jesus and the new life is come to, about to be. And you know what happens is we begin to think that this is kind of disconnected because it's all about me. But what Jesus, what Paul is even beginning to say is that if something new has happened in me, then something new ought to happen through me. This is what Paul says. He says, the new thing that God has done in you ought to be lived through you. And all of this in verse 18 is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Another translation says, he has entrusted us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plea, come back to God. Now reconciliation, it speaks of two things. It speaks of reuniting 
and restoring. It means two things are coming back together again that once were divided. And Paul says, because we have been reconciled to God, now we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the purpose of reconciliation to be the preserving power in our world. See, Jesus's love extends to every person here, regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of creed, regardless of history. We celebrated it last month. We sang about Emmanuel at Christmas time. God with us. Think about this for a moment. In Jesus, there is only us. There is no them. The temptation is for us to compartmentalize people and say it's us and it's them and it's Democrats and Republicans. What it's saying is in the family of God, there is only us. It's reconciliation power. Paul says we have been entrusted this message because Jesus's love reaches out to every person and his sacrificial love made a way for us to be reconciled to God again. And now having experienced that kind of love, we are now charged to go into our world and to do the same. The point is that if healing has happened in me, then healing should happen through me. If forgiveness has happened in me, then forgiveness ought to happen through me. Come on, if reconciliation has happened in me, reconciliation ought to happen through me. The problem is, if you haven't noticed, relationships seem to always be erupting. You remember growing up? Like, I have the best idea for how I'm gonna spend my summer. I'm gonna sleep over at my friend's house for a week. What happens? Three days in, you're not friends anymore. <laughs> After three days, you're bickering, you're complaining. Hey, what happened to your friend? I thought you were going to stay. No, 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 we're not friends anymore. Seems to be relationships are always blowing up. Parental relationships blowing up. Sibling relationships blowing up. Working relationships blowing up. Roommate relationships blowing up. Hello. Uh-oh. Dating relationships <laughs> They always seem to be blowing up. And it seems like our common struggle is just resolving conflict. But we're meant to be salt. It's a preservation power. It seems like this. One of the stories that just makes me laugh is about a man who's being rescued on a desert island after being stranded there for 20 years. As he was standing on the deck of his rescue vessel, the captain looked at the man and said, I thought you were stranded alone for 20 years. The man said, I was. The captain replied, well, why are there three huts on the beach? The man looked out and said, well, that one is where I lived. And that one is where I went to church. And the captain interrupted eagerly and said, why is there a third hut then? And he said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> we can't even get along with ourselves. Where there's so much inner turmoil, holding on to offense, holding on to unforgiveness, that it seems like every relationship, even internally, seems to be blowing up in our lives. We've all been there. We've all said the wrong thing. We've all done the wrong thing and not known how, not known how to make it right, not know how to restore it. And what happens is we actually settle for being right rather than being reconciled. And this is the message that God has for us today. Paul says, if you've been reconciled in the family of God, go therefore and be reconciled. C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have to forgive. Everyone loves talking about forgiveness. But the moment God begins to speak to you and deal with your heart and say, there's unforgiveness here, we need to root that out. We begin to say, ah, you know, there, we begin to justify. We settle for being right. God, I was right. 
No, no, no. The, 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 the purpose we have is not to be right. The purpose we have is to be reconciled, to be salt in our world, a preservation power. Come on, it's time for the church to stand up in unity together. It's time for us to represent this message exactly what we're talking about. Corey Ten Boom, who maybe if you're unfamiliar, Corey Ten Boom is one of the most amazing stories. She writes in her book, The Hiding Place, which is probably one of the top 10 best-selling Christian books over the last 60 years, tells her story about how her and her family uh, during World War II would shelter Jews from the Nazis and, and they would hide them there in, in what was a makeshift um, closet. And her family would, would hide these Jews and eventually the Nazis caught up to them and her whole family was taken to a concentration camp and eventually exterminated except for Corey. Corey would go on, she became a Christian, began to preach the gospel for 30 years following this. Now think of this for a moment. Can you imagine the weight, the load of forgiveness that someone has to carry after something like that? Corey tells this story of being in a church preaching 30 years later in Munich, Germany. She says, as she was preaching, she saw a familiar face. There in the crowd was the guard who mocked her and who would put her in the shower every day, pretending to kill her, who was responsible for her sister Betsy's death. And he was there sitting in the church that day while she was preaching. See, now forgiveness is no longer a lovely idea. She recognized the guard, but he didn't recognize her. And after service, the guard came up and said, ma'am, I heard you mention Ravensbrook. I was a guard there, but since those days, I've become a Christian. I know that God forgives me, but will you forgive me? She said, I stood there paralyzed. This man is a monster. He filled us with shame. He's killed my family. He's killed my sister. How then can I preach forgiveness when I'm standing in the face of someone who's asking for it, but I cannot forgive? She says, there in that moment, I prayed, Father, forgive me for my inability to forgive. Now think of this for a moment. Father, forgive me for my inability to forgive. She said immediately as she prayed, something happened in her. The power of the Holy Spirit surged through her. She felt her hand reach out to grab his. And she said to the guard, you are forgiven. She said that day, not only was he set free, but I was set free. This is reconciliation power. Let me back up. This is the power of the gospel. This is what the gospel power that lives inside of us. It tells us if God can forgive me, that I can extend forgiveness. See, let me encourage us today. Reconciliation is not based on what others have done to you. It's based on what God has done for you. Let me say it again. Reconciliation is not based on what others have done to me. It's based on what God has done for me. And Jesus says, this is your purpose as the church. It's a preservation power in your world. But he warns us. He says, in the same way, if salt ever loses its saltiness, it is useless. See, the chemical compound of salt is not easily changed. Have you ever had saltless salt? No, because it doesn't exist. For it to have, for you to have, saltiness is precisely what makes salt, salt. It's called an impossible possibility. And to the first listeners of Jesus, it would have sounded absurd. The very fact that it is salt means that it is salty, but saltless salt, watch this, saltless salt, for salt to lose its salty power would be like a Christian losing its mission. 
for salt to begin to lose the very power that it has within it to change and to transform and to preserve would be just like Jesus says, a Christian who's lost their mission in the world and no longer has anything to contribute to it. This is the challenge for us today. Just like 1 John 4.20 says, he says, if you love God and hate your brother, then you're a liar. Encouragement today for you. What are you lying about? You're not lying about your, love, your hate for your brother. You're lying about your love for God because love for God displaces hate. It displaces offense. It displaces unforgiveness. It displaces bitterness. This is what happens. He says, if you say you love God, if something has happened in you, then it should happen through your, and when you think about this, see, many times we think about the gospel as this. I say a little prayer and then I get an admission ticket to heaven when I die. Can I just tell you today, the gospel message is not just about you going to heaven when you die. That's part of it. But the gospel message is about you bringing heaven to earth before you die. This is what the gospel is. But let us take a moment today and think of what, the, what heaven is like. Because the Bible tells me that heaven is every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered together worshiping Jesus. What it tells us is that every single time that we gather, we represent heaven to our world. We stand together in radical unity. We celebrate diversity without division. We celebrate unity without uniformity. We are diverse, but we are unified under something bigger that could ever, something unites us that's bigger than anything that could ever divide us. When we begin to say we're standing together under the name of Jesus, you realize how powerful this is? You realize what happens when we tell Jamboree Road, this is what heaven looks like. Can I just say today, oftentimes we gather and we think of church as the means to the end. We gather together and we think church, you know, I just need to feel a little bit better about my week. So if I come here, then I'll feel better. We think of church like, ah, I'm supposed to do this Christian thing so that one day I can live out the purpose that God has for me. Or one day I can get to heaven. Can I just challenge us today? This is not the means to the end. This is the point. What begins to happen is we begin to say, we are standing together as the people of God, lifting up the praises of God in radical unity. What a message for 2021 to begin to represent to our world. This is what heaven looks like. Reconciliation is possible. It's possible. I just want to challenge our thinking here today. You don't have to be salty anymore. Let me just challenge this. We don't have to live salty because the very power that holds this gathering together is that we love each other sacrificially despite our shortcomings. The power that holds us together is that we believe the best in others. The power that holds us together is that we preserve relationships and we reconcile others to the family of God. And as we do, we represent what heaven is like to our world. And it's so important that we understand this because it is a scheme of the enemy to try and have the church be divided. It's a tactic of the enemy to cause us to be on the inside, bickering and complaining and holding on to unforgiveness and harboring hurt and beginning to tear us apart from the inside. Why? Because it's saltless salt. We begin to lose the very power behind our message. You cannot preach Jesus and live bitter. Do we actually expect our world to begin to believe and to take, to take us seriously when we say, I've got my relationship with God figured out this way, but I can't get my relationships this way to be figured out? It's the very power of our message. 
the gospel. It's about healing relationships first this way and then to every other relationship in my life. Back when we used to be able to do this, I used to love going to the movies. Remember going to the movies? (laughs) I know it's sad, but one day we're gonna tell our kids about how we used to go to the movie theater. Netflix is cool and all, but I love going to the movies. I used to love going to the movies and you get your big old bucket of popcorn and pro tip is if you put the peanut M&Ms in it and then give it a little shake. Some of you are saved and know what I'm talking about. I used to love going to the movies, all kinds of movies, comedies, action movies. I'll even get a little notebook romance action going on. You know, my favorite part about the movies are the trailers. I love the trailers. I love being able to go to the movies. We would go early. I'd make sure we got the whole setup. My wife next to me, we're watching the trailers. You know, you see a good trailer. You're like, oh, I can't wait for that one. You pull out your calendar. You're like, okay, that's what's coming out. We're gonna, you know, the better the trailer, the more likely I am to get excited, to show up early if I have to, to invite my friends, to stand in line. But I'll tell you one thing. I will never go see a movie if it has a whack preview. If it has a bad trailer, I'm not going to see the movie. The first thing I do, even on Netflix, I'll watch the trailer. I'll watch the preview. Why? Because I want to know what the movie's about. And can I just say, it is the job of every Christian to live like a preview to what a relationship with Jesus is like. This is our purpose. The problem is we have too many bad previews. Why would anyone want to follow Jesus if you're always mean? Why would anyone want to believe and to say, yeah, I'd I'd like to try out the church thing if it's full of backstabbers. We're meant to live as a preview to the person of Jesus. This is even what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. I could speak in tongues of angels, but if I have not love, guess what? It's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me give you a 2021 translation for this verse. He says, I can speak in tongues as frequently as I want, but it doesn't matter if I'm mean in English. Did you hear me? You can speak in tongues all day, but it doesn't matter if you're mean in English. I think a Christian that holds a grudge is an oxymoron. It's saltless salt. It's an impossible possibility. And do we really expect people to believe that we've been transformed if we don't live any differently? So every time you act salty, you lose your saltiness. You hearing me today? Every time you act salty, someone got the promotion that you were supposed to get. Someone had voted for a different political candidate than you. Someone took your spot at the grocery store. Someone took your spot at church. Come on. That's my seat. They're all the same, guys. We start harboring, even in church, we start harboring unforgiveness and bitterness and start acting all salty. But every time you act salty, you lose your salt. You lose the preservation power behind this message. So I wanna challenge us here today. This is really where we have to allow God to deal with us, to deal with our hearts. Because the thing is, it doesn't just make us sound absurd, but it actually makes our message useless. The final challenge Jesus gives to us today in Matthew chapter five is that if salt loses its saltiness, it's only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Might I suggest to us that the reason our world has a hard time with our message The reason why people think that this message is useless is because we have simply settled for looking the part, but lacking the power. The power that holds us together is reconciliation power. 
We can't just wear Christianity like a costume on Sundays. It should affect your Monday. It should affect the board meeting on Tuesday. It should affect your roommate relationship on Wednesday. It should begin to affect the way that you drive, the way that you talk to people. It's reconciliation power. And this is where we just have to allow our hearts to be opened up to what God is speaking to us today. Because I just live with this conviction. The message of reconciliation can only be honestly communicated by a people who are reconciled. The message of reconciliation, it needs a reconciled community. So what do we do? What do we do when we look around the church today and we realize I'm not salty anymore? What do we do when we realize we've lost our sight, we've lost our power of reconciliation? We've got to come to a place today where we let go of hurt. We find healing. We've got to come to a place today where we begin to allow God to deal with these things in our life, to experience truly how we've been reconciled to God. See, I think reconciliation is part of God's curriculum for his church. I think God will use reconciliation, particularly difficult circumstances, to teach us the value of how we've been reconciled to him because God has forgiven us. See, I can't live offended with people if I recognize that God has forgiven me of my offense against him. That's what sin is. I've offended God, I've messed up, but I have to allow his forgiveness to transform my life so I can extend forgiveness, healing, mercy to the world around me. We have to come to this place today and I desperately want us to have a moment where we can leave with that faith declaration as we get back to our cars. We can look at our roommates and our spouses and we could say, you know what? I'm not salty anymore. (laughs) I'm not salty anymore. Because what happens is we may say, how can we forgive? You may say, Cody, forgiveness, it sounds great, but you do not know what's happened to me. You You don't know what people said about me. Forgiveness, reconciliation, it sounds great, but the people that were supposed to love me the most have hurt me the deepest. You may feel this tension in your heart to hold on, to say, I know that reconciliation is what I'm called to do, but you don't understand how hard it's been. Can I just say this? Reconciliation, it doesn't change your past, but it does change your future. Reconciliation, it doesn't change your past. It did, it happened. But I believe that God can bring healing to that situation, to a painful divorce. Let me just tell you today, God can bring healing. Losing your job, God can bring healing. To a strained parental or child relationship, God can bring healing. What happens is we begin to say, God, I'm gonna allow you to not just heal my past, but I'm gonna, you're going to change my future. I'm going to leave here today knowing that my future is different, walking out this purpose. That's what happens if we reconcile. But if we don't reconcile, what happens is we're actually beginning to set ourselves up as a higher tribunal than God. What happens is if we don't extend this message, this ministry of reconciliation, we begin to either underestimate our sin or overestimate somebody else's. And what it does is it sets our qualifications for forgiveness as bigger than God's. So when you're being challenged today, between you or God, who wins? If God can forgive, if we're gonna be serious about this message, you know what it may start like for you? It It may just be a prayer today where you say, God, forgive me for my inability to forgive. 
I know that you're a healer. I know that you have reconciliation power. So God, just help me with this. You may, it sound, you may say today, your message, Cody, it sounds real good, but that's not the way the world works. That's my point. It's not the way the world works, but that's how we work. Let me just tell you today, the cross is not just a stake in the ground of God's love for humanity. It's also a bridge to the world around us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.